Well, amen. It is great to have you with us today, and it is great to be worshiping. And I love the line of that song, that even when I don't feel like you're working, even when I don't see that you're working, I know you're working. There could not be a a better summary of Hebrews chapter 11 than this hall of faith, people who kept trusting when they saw God at work and when they couldn't see where he was working. That is the theme of what we're looking at today. How do we do that? So again, if you're new with us today, I'd like to say welcome. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us to the service this morning. We're going to be diving into Hebrews chapter 11 today. Quick summary of where we were last week. We were introduced to a whole series of people who, by faith, kept trusting in God. We learned about Abel, who obtained a, 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 a witness that he was righteous. By faith. We learned that by faith Enoch didn't get to see death. It's pretty nice. By faith Noah became an heir of righteousness. Abraham, we'll see today, by faith waited on a city. By faith Sarah is going to receive some strength. And there's going to be a theme that comes up over and over again. It applied to last week, it applies to this week, and it will apply to next week's passage. These all died in faith. Not, not having received the promises, but having seen them from far off. In fact, as we look to the characters in next week's uh, Hall of Faith, it'll continue. The folks who died in faith, not having seen the promises fulfilled fully on earth. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So here's what we're going to learn today. What is the secret that these people stumbled into that we all want and need? The secret to life. And what we're going to discover, it's not just a secret in some small area. It covers it all. I just wrote down a few of them. How do you live for God as a new Christian? This chapter addresses that. How do you live for God if you've been following Jesus or God for decades? The secrets in this verse. How do you die Still anxiously living for the kingdom of God, trusting God as you face adversity. How do you trust God when you face the unknown? How do you trust God when his timing seems to really be bad? You don't feel like he's kept his promises. Or you don't feel like he's on time and he's certainly not early. All of that is addressed in our chapter today. What our writer is going to say to you and I is what he's saying to the original audience, is despite what you've done, think of all the things you've done wrong, things you've trusted in besides God. Despite what you've done, despite what you don't understand, what's he doing? What's the plan? Despite your struggles and questions about where he's at right now, just keep believing. Just keep believing, just keep believing, just keep believing. You going through unknown times? Just keep believing, just keep believing. You're not sure how he's working? Just keep believing. Because the reward will come, and the reward will be worth it. Despite what you've done. Despite what you don't understand. Despite your struggles and questions. Just keep believing. Believing, 
Because the reward will come and the reward will be worth it. So we're going to look today at the secret of three scoundrels. So you could read Hebrews 11 and get the totally wrong idea. You, you might think, these are wonderful people who did wonderful things. I need to be wonderful like them. Mm. These are scoundrels. And these scoundrels kept believing, despite their past, despite what they didn't understand, despite their mess-ups and questions, they just kept believing. Because they knew the secret embedded in the middle of this chapter on how to please God. See, Hebrews eleven six told us, do you remember from last week? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so here's how you please God. You need to believe He exists. That helps. And that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's the overall theme that all these characters have in, in common. Their secret is, despite their scoundrel's behavior, they just kept believing that He would reward them by trusting in Him. So let's begin with our first scoundrel, Abraham. Now you might be surprised to hear me call Abraham a, a scoundrel. So before I dive into what Hebrews tells about Abraham, let me remind you who Abraham was. His family are worshiping the gods of the Canaanites. God appears to him and says, follow me and don't take anyone with you. And the first thing we discover is he obeys by following and disobeys by bringing a lot with him. We find out he's a very small man who's very, very insecure, married to apparently a very beautiful woman that makes him feel very insecure. So every time they zoom past Egypt, he says, let's lie and say you're my sister. So he's a liar. He's disobedient. He's insecure. He's a very small guy, very narrow-minded, bad encounter with Pharaoh. So Pharaoh finds out she's married because he's kind of dating his wife or starting the process. What are you doing? Lying to me. Throws him out with everything he's touched in Egypt, including Hagar, an Egyptian servant. They come back years later, he lies about his sister again. Apparently a different pharaoh. They're not waiting on God's promises very well, so they kind of come up with this idea, how about you sleep with Hagar, who we picked up in Egypt? Abram's like, that sounds pretty good, so he does that. He becomes an adulterer and a polygamist. And then that doesn't work out real well. The two wives fight with each other, and so one day Sarah's like, I don't really like Hagar. And Abraham gives Sarah permission to beat Hagar and cast out a pregnant woman. These are wonderful people in our faith. These are wonderful, wonderful people that we need to be like. So this is a scoundrel, Abraham is. And yet, he just kept believing. And God worked through a scoundrel like him. Here's what it says. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He did some things right. He did go out. wasn't full obedience. But when he was called to go out, he did. And that word go out is actually the same word for exodus. Imagine the writers remembering the exodus of his people out of Egypt. Abraham exited as he followed God's leading. Not perfectly. Still as a scoundrel, but he did go out by faith. Because he knew he would receive. Now notice the word would there. He would receive it. God even tells him in the Abrahamic covenant, it's going to be 400 years before it's fully fulfilled. When you get the land, get the children, uh, like the seashore numbers. It's going to be 400 years of bondage in between there. But Abraham kept believing, knowing he would, future tense, receive as an inheritance. Now, when he went out by faith, he didn't know where he was going. 
By faith, he dwelt in the very land he would one day, his ancestors would own, but he didn't get to own it. He dwelt in the land of promise, the land promised to him, but like it was a foreign country. He was just kind of passing through, he was kind of tenting out in somebody else's backyard. Because it takes 400 years till the promise is fulfilled. That's the same thing true, by the way. The tents with Isaac and Jacob and the heirs of him. Same promise God promised them, but they didn't get it yet. And while he was going through the times, he could see God's promises. But he wasn't fully receiving God's promises. He just kept waiting. By faith. What's he waiting for? He was waiting for the city. The ultimate homeland. The ultimate city who whose maker and builder and very foundations was God. He didn't build his life on what he finds in this world, though God had promises for him in this world. He kept his eyes waiting on the ultimate city, the kingdom of God. Despite being a scoundrel. I think there's four things we can learn here, just in this little section, about how to wait on God if you're waiting on him. What do you do? How do you get your mindset in the faith mindset to wait on God and expect him to reward you? I'll give you the first two. Number one, wait knowing you will receive. He would receive an inheritance. The thing that keeps me from waiting, and I don't wait very well, is I'm like, it's, it's not going to be worth it. It's not really going to come. And yet the book of Hebrews continues to tell us the reward will come and it will be worth it. So while you're waiting, keep reminding yourself God's timing is perfect and the reward will make it worth the wait. Number two, wait like Abraham did, knowing who is going with me even when I don't know where I'm going. God doesn't lay out all the puzzle pieces and all of the map. We're going to do this for this long and this for this long and this for this long. He doesn't. Abraham stepped out by faith, not knowing where he was going. See it says? Not knowing where he was going. But you know what he did know? Who he was going with. There's no safer place than to be with God. God, if you're moving, I'm moving. God, if you're stopping, I'm stopping. I don't like that we're stopping. I don't like that we're moving so fast. But God, I want to be with you. Because when I know I'm with you, I know I have whatever I need. And when you face the unknown, when you face uncertainty, when you're frustrated that you don't know where you're going, keep waiting, knowing who's with you while you're going. I went to Seattle several years ago, and I have a relative who lives there. And we're driving around these back roads, and she's like, yeah, trust me, trust me. I know this like the back of my hands. We're driving around, and suddenly we hear from the front, I think we're lost. You're lost? You know, I don't know where I am or where I'm going. Well, you need, I got Google Maps. Oh, no, no, no. She turns a couple more corners. I don't know where I am or where we're going. That became the theme for the whole thing. I don't know where I am or where I'm going. And sometimes you feel that way. I don't know where I am or where I'm going. When you feel like you don't know where you are or where you're going, you can know who is with you. God tells everyone, all these people of faith, he keeps saying, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. So when you are waiting, keep trusting he is with you and will reward you. The third thing he mentions is that we need to wait as a sojourner by not pounding your stakes too far in. 
Notice, God's going to eventually give his ancestors this land. But Abraham, it's going to be 400 years before his ancestors get it. So he dwells in this land like it's a foreign country. It's going to be his land. But he's dwelling in his land like he's a pilgrim, like he's a nomad, like he's a sojourner passing through. He's just dwelling in tents. And for many of us, we have, we have thought this world is our home. We're not living like sojourners. We're living like permanent residents. And so we pound our stakes in thinking that all of our happiness and all of our joy is going to come out of this world. And it's easy to do so. Many of us living in America, 2021, we've been able to manage our career and manage our life to build really big tents in a really beautiful world. But you're not going to find your full happiness here. As much as it's good here, that city to come is so much better. And the secret of living in this life is living like a sojourner, someone who's passing through. The story told of a general in the Civil War, and as all the men came to camp for the night, he said, all right, everybody set up your tents, and we're going to get some rations later on. Everybody starts pounding in their stakes and putting up their tents. He comes out and just sees them hammering into the old Georgia clay, and he yells out, Men! Don't pound your stakes too far in. We're moving out in the morning. Don't pound your stakes too far in. We're moving out in the morning. And that's what it means to be a sojourner. You don't pound your stakes too far into this world. Because you're moving out in the morning. It's temporary. It's temporal. Even 60, 70 years, that's pretty good. But don't think meaning and purpose and ultimate satisfaction is going to happen here. You're not living like a nomad. You're not living like a sojourner. You've pounded your stakes too far in. Because of our fourth point, wait for the city to come. Wait for the big city, even though you've currently got a big, nice tent. Don't assume you're glamping. You know people who are glamping? You ever heard the term glamping? People who can glamorize camping? Now listen, you can call it whatever you want. It's still camping. You know, if you have to go to an outhouse or go to, you know, a bathroom where many other people are in the room with you, you're camping. All right, that's camping. And if you're, you know, so many of us have taken this world and because we've been able to kind of, kind of prop it up, we're like, well, it's not really a tent. We've kind of glamorized this world, which is great. But as much glamping as you do in your life here, Keep your eyes on the big city. And that's what Abraham did. Look, and he went out not knowing where he's going. He kept waiting on the big city, as you're going to see in a moment. The big city, whose maker and foundations were God. We're going to come back to that. So, our first scoundrel was Abraham. Our second scoundrel is Sarah. Quick reminder on Sarah. She's the one that came up with the idea of sharing her maidservant with Abraham. So she suggested the polygamy and she suggested the adultery and then she gets very insecure because she's barren and now this maidservant has a child she asks permission to beat her abraham says yes they cast out this pregnant woman god brings her back and cares for her and says basically to the two of them that's wrong what you did then she has a child sarah gets mad again throws out the child and the mother because she's now got a baby When God appears to her, an angel appears to Sarah and says, you're going to have a child. She's in her 90s. And she laughs. (laughs) 
She names her son Isaac, which means laughter, because she laughed at God when God gave her a promise. And despite her lack of faith, despite her laughter, despite her bad behavior, she just kept believing. What Hebrews tells us is her secret is she would judge God faithful. Not perfectly, but she kept judging him faithful. Even when he was not early, I'm 90! And he wasn't on time. Because she waited decades to get pregnant. And that's where we pick up the story here in Hebrews. By faith, Sarah herself received something. She didn't do something herself. She had to receive something. She received strength to conceive seed. Her body was incapable at 90, around 90 at least, to producing a child. She had to receive the gift. God had to really bring her body back to life. That which was dead, her womb was dead, had to be resurrected to produce this seed or this child of promise, Isaac. And he explains that. She said, what I mean by the seed is she bore a son when she was past the age. Because, okay, how'd she do it? She judged him faithful. She kept trusting. God gave us a promise. I would have a child. Uh, I'm going to, didn't do it real right the first time. Made some mistakes. Wandered around. Did some wrong stuff. Suggested some bad ideas. But I'm going to keep believing and judging him faithful. Just like he had promised. Then I love this next line. Therefore, from one man, talking about Abraham, Look at this next line. Who is this? God is dead. Now, this is not a compliment, people. This is not like the thing to say about your husband or wife. Have you seen my wife? Have you seen my husband? They're as good as dead. (laughs) In fact, Paul picks this up in Romans, too. He's like, Abraham, when he was as good as dead, God worked. But here's the point of the passage. When your resources are gone, when you feel like there's a dead spot in your life, that's when you just keep believing. Because God can bring life where there is death. God will resurrect his promises if you keep judging him faithful. And even though her body was dead and his body was dead, they kept trusting in the promise that God would fulfill his work, judging him faithful. And his promise he'd given to them came true. Because what was born was as many as the stars of the sky just like the covenant said, innumerable as the sands on the seashore. They trusted God faithful when they were inadequate, past their age, and when they needed faith. So how much faith do you need? Because I also wouldn't want you to come away from this passage thinking that you need more faith or bigger faith. You don't need a lot of faith. Jesus says you need faith like the size of a mustard seed. You just need to put your little faith in the right object. I kept judging him faithful. I kept knowing he would come through. The faith wasn't the problem. What do you put your faith in is the secret. You can know you're a scoundrel. You can know the things you've done in the past. But you just say, but you know what? God's grace and God's mercy. I'm going to just keep believing, trusting in it. I told you last year that my uncle Jim died. And I remember going to see my Uncle Jim a few weeks before he died. And it was just a hilarious conversation. It was just so refreshing. We're sitting actually in a graveyard for my grandmother and grandfather. And just remembering the legacy impact they had on me and had on my uncle. As we're talking about heaven together, having this little Bible study in the cemetery, 
My Uncle Jim says, Chad, i got to tell you, I, I've, I've been a real scoundrel the way I've lived. I was a terrible husband, so I got divorced. I was not a great dad. He said, I gambled away, I don't know, tens of tens of thousands of dollars, all my money and some of Grandma's money. And he said, I was a thief. He said, you know, I, I just... I just kept coming back to God, as you heard me many times a year, saying, I don't want to do this. I want to keep my promises. I don't want to keep making these mistakes. And I think God knew my heart is I really wanted to please him, even though I didn't. And so every time I did it, every time I fell off again, every time I just kept coming back to him. He says, in fact, he tells the story. He goes, well, I grew up here in Ottawa, the town we're in. He said, when I was like 10, I remember somebody had this brand new yellow bike in front of the movie theater. And I wanted that bike. And they were in the movie theater. So I took the bike. And I rode that bike all over town. And I loved that bike. And then I realized at the end of the day, it was the only bright yellow bike in all of town. Everyone would know I stole it. So Chad, you remember how I used to take you fishing down a flat rock down here in the Illinois River? Yeah. I threw the bike in the river to hide what I had done. He said, there's a deep undertow in the Illinois River, so for years when I was a kid, we would throw anchors in, and we could, we could kind of hook stuff that would be caught right here in this rock section of the Illinois River. I threw it hoping the river would take it all the way down to the Mississippi and hide everything I'd done. He said, you're not going to believe this. But three years later, I'm fishing, about 13, 15, somewhere in there on a flat rock, and a kid walks up. I got to know him, and we got to chatting about old times, and he mentions that he had a yellow bike stolen years ago. And I feel like this might be God's moment for me to kind of confess and bring everything out in the open. And you know what? I didn't. I hid that thing. I waited about 20 minutes as we're fishing. I said, you know what? Something fun we like to do. I handed him an anchor. And I remembered where I'd thrown that bike. And I remembered where the uncurrent sometimes brought stuff. He said it took two throws. Second throw. This kid's pulling this in. He's like, I got something. He pulls it up. My bike! Oh my God, how did my bike get in here? My Uncle Jim's like, amazing, it's a miracle. (laughs) Never did come through. Never did. But I loved how honest he could be about all the junk in his life. He said, here I am, turned out weeks away from his death, trusting God's forgiveness for the things I've done wrong, trusting him for his mercy, and trusting him to resurrect my body that's now being destroyed by cancer. It feels crazy to trust God when his promises seem so beneath the surface. Last summer, I was taking a boat out down in Florida. I went by a place called Ponce Inlet. It's about a mile across of water. And as I was boating, they said, you've got to be careful because there's an island in the middle of this. There's an island in the middle of that. Right. I'm thinking like maybe then when a tide goes down, an island appears. I'm thinking like, okay, well, maybe there's like a two-foot island, the disappearing island. He said, no, 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 it's big. And I just couldn't believe it. That seems ridiculous. Well, sure enough, we turned the boat back around and came back. Three hours later, the tide had gone down four feet. And all of a sudden, this disappearing island comes. And here's just a picture of it. You start seeing it here in the picture on the left-hand side. I'll outline it here for you. The island goes all the way out to here, all the way out to here. And you can see some boats parked right here. Two-thirds of that inlet it's a giant island. We, did, we waited two more hours as we parked out on the disappearing island. It went down another 
two feet. And now the entire ocean, this is where the ocean and two rivers meet, was, looked like a desert. I couldn't believe that just under the surface was this giant disappearing island. And God says to you sometimes, it may look like there are floods coming your way, river this way, ocean this way, river that way. And I'm telling you, my promise, you can bank on them, you can count on them. You're like, I don't see it. He says, you won't fully see it until the tide goes out. As the old hymn says, until the, the clouds roll up yonder, then you will see. But that promise has been there the whole time. The reality of God's presence has been there just under the surface the whole time. So just keep believing in his promises and his presence and his faithfulness. Because it may take until the tide goes down for you to see it. But just keep judging him faithful. When he doesn't seem like he's on time. And even when he's not early. So two secrets of the scoundrels. Abraham and Sarah. And now he's going to summarize everyone he's talked about so far. He's going to say, what all of them had in common, all of these trailblazers of faith, had a secret. They just kept believing with far-sighted faith. They didn't focus on what was in front of them. Even the medium term, they kept their eyes on far-sighted faith. Here's how he summarizes everything we've learned so far. These, everyone I've mentioned so far, they all died. Well, that's kind of depressing. But they died in faith. And then would you have put this next word here? Not having received the promises. Well, that doesn't sound particularly encouraging. He said they died in faith because they didn't get all the promises in this world. They had farsighted faith. They kept their eyes on the world to come. They died on this earth, but in faith, not receiving everything here. They didn't pound all their stakes in here. But look what it says. But having received, having seen them afar off. Farsighted faith. I see it. I believe it. I'm keeping my promise in it. What did they do? They were assured. There's faith. They were assured. They trusted. They had confidence of them, of these promises. They embraced these promises. They confessed that they were, and here's our word again, strangers and pilgrims or sojourners, nomads passing through this world. So I'm not going to focus on getting it all now, pound, pound, pound. I'm going to focus on the city to come, the homeland to come, the final fulfillment of everything God has for me. I lived this world like a stranger and a pilgrim. I leveraged my time, my energy, and my money in temporal things to prepare for myself eternal things. For those who say such things declare plainly that they are seeking a homeland that's not just this earth. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, let's go back to Abraham, let's go back to Canaan, let's go back to Egypt, they would have had the opportunity to return. But those who succeeded didn't keep their eyes on what they did in the past or even what they saw in the present. They kept far-sighted faith on their future homeland. I heard a story years ago about Teddy Roosevelt. How much you know about Teddy Roosevelt, but he loved going on safaris. And it was amazing. Back in those days, the president of the United States would disappear for months and nobody even knew where he was. 
Think about how obsessed we are with politics today. Literally, the president would say, I'll be away for a few months. He'd go over to Africa on these incredible safaris. Nobody heard from him. No good way to communicate with him. Well, he's on his way back on a boat from one of his incredible safaris. But so is a missionary couple. And they've been serving over in Africa for almost three decades. Faithful, quiet, behind-the-scenes serving. With not a lot of fruit and not a lot of response, but just continue plowing of selfless sacrifice. They're coming home after 30 plus years of service and they happen to be on the exact same boat as Teddy Roosevelt. As the boat pulls up to America, gigantic signs, Welcome home, Teddy! As he gets off the boat, fanfare. People are playing music. People are cheering crowds. Teddy's back! Welcome home, Teddy! Woo! And big fanfare and celebration. He comes off and tells of his incredible safaris. Then they kind of have the people get off. And here comes this missionary couple. No church there to greet them. No family could travel to be at the dock. No music. No fanfare. They went to the place they were staying that night, and they're both kind of discouraged and depressed. They decided to both spend some time in prayer separately. They came back together for a dinner, and the missionary's wife said, God spoke to me in my time of prayer, and I'm feeling, feeling a lot more encouraged. He's like, well, I'd love to hear something encouraging. I told him how angry I was and how frustrated I was that we didn't see a lot of fruit in our 30 years of, of serving, and Nobody was here to greet us. It felt very lonely and just a waste of time. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Yeah, but you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Oh, I've got banners and I've got a choir. And I've got stories of all the ways that what you've invested your time, energy, and money into and the ways I'm going to use that to impact people, to impact generations. There is going to be a gathering of faithfulness. And I want to look to you and it's going to say, Welcome home, my good and faithful servant. So don't get too bothered about that banner from Teddy Roosevelt because you're not home yet. Remember how Jesus says that? When you pray, when you give, when you fast. Oh, you can get your reward here. Or you can get your greater reward in heaven. Because your heavenly Father, seeing when you give in secret, when you pray in secret, and when you fast in secret, oh, great is your reward. Keep believing. The reward is coming. And the reward is will be worth it. That's exactly the, the next part of the verse. They pursued a homeland. And what was the secret of this homeland? They knew it was better. They desired something better. A better reward, a better promise, a better city, a better reality. A heavenly country. Therefore, I love this, God is not ashamed to be called their God. 
They bragged on him. He brags on them. God is not ashamed. He welcomes everybody into heaven by grace. But not everybody gets a well done, my good and faithful servant. It's those who took their temporal time, kept their eyes focused on the future homeland, invested during their temporal time to make eternal impact. He's not ashamed to be their God. For he has prepared a city for them. And Revelation is a beautiful picture of the city of God coming down on earth where God dwells with us on earth. The secrets of the trailblazers. They kept believing. And they kept believing it was worth it. It would be better. So. What does it mean for you and I today? What does it mean for you and I to live like a nomad? To live like a sojourner? knowing that you're not home yet. If right now it doesn't feel like God is showing up in his promises, maybe you've pounded your stakes too far in. You need to keep your eyes on the city to come. Have good things become ultimate things? When you're going through suffering, do you realize that when you are suffering, when you are being persecuted, that God will reward you? And the reward will be so good it will make whatever pain you're going through just disappear in comparison to the reward? That's how big the reward is. You don't have to minimize your pain. Just imagine how big the the good stuff must be to make this amount of pain disappear. Live like a nomad. Don't pound your stakes too far in and take the time you have and the resources you have, your time, your energy, your money, your mindset, and put your mind on the heavenly city to come, on the promises of God. Know that just beneath the surface are those promises, his presence with you here and now. What does it look like for you to live like a nomad? Knowing you're not home yet. Many of us have accomplished all of our bucket lists and then some. And we're still not satisfied because we think if we could just pound enough stakes into this world, we could find what we need. You won't. You're a nomad. And only a nomad can find success by keeping their eye on their true homeland, their true territory, their true destination. What's the secret of living as a Christian? It's faith. Faith that God, despite what we've done, despite what we don't understand, despite our struggles and questions, we just keep believing There is a reward, and it will be worth it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the reminder today of your faithfulness, of the rock-solid promises you've entrusted to us. And thank you that as a church, we have the opportunity to be your hands and your feet to those around us. Show us how we as a church can serve others Invest our temporal resources to help other people explore and connect and be equipped to know your presence and to not lose hope. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you're heading out today, I want to give you one last tool. Uh, There's been such a response to our fast track.
This is our summary of the Bible that we've been giving out. And this was to kind of help you keep track of all these different characters we're reading through in Hebrews 11. So if you already have one, don't take another unless you need it. Uh, But we do have a few more available. And we have a QR code. You can actually take your camera, take a picture of the QR code, and it will download directly to your iPad or directly to your phone. So if you're interested in that, this is a, a, a summary of the Bible that you can read through in 90 minutes. We wrote this about 10 years ago. And so if you want to kind of figure out who these characters are, because they get a little more complicated after Abraham and Sarah, this might be a quick read for you to read along with us over the next couple weeks as we finish Hebrews chapter 11. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you all next week.